0: The Lord makes it clear throughout his word that the heart of his purpose in all things is for his glory to be seen and experienced and reflected by the people he has made.
1: Welcome to Encounter the Truth with Jonathan Griffiths. I'm Steve Hiller. And Jonathan, there may be some listening today who have never really experienced the glory of God in their life before. They hear, you know, a phrase like that, the glory of God, not, not even really sure what you're talking about.
0: Well, it's a big concept, and I don't think the idea of God's glory is something that we can define in a kind of w- one-sentence kind of a way, or very simply. But it, it, it does say that God is truly worthy of all worship and adoration— because everything in him is good and wonderful and bright and beautiful and truly marvelous. And, and so it does say to us that, that God is intrinsically and totally worthy of our adoration. Hmm. It's a big thought. It's a wonderful thought. And of course, we're going to try and explore it a little bit together today
1: we're going to do that in a number of different places in God's word so if you can't have a bible handy we'll spend some time in psalms and exodus and isaiah but let's continue our message the glorious god here is jonathan
0: there are very beautiful things to be found in this world things that have a certain glory about them you know you think about a, a very wonderful jewel a beautiful diamond or sapphire or ruby the other day i was with the children downtown and we were doing a little window shopping in the rito center And I don't know why I thought of doing this. We wandered into Tiffany's. This is me in shorts and a t-shirt with three little kids, and the security guard was kind of (laughs) looking, uh, wondering what was going on. Anyway, we kind of glanced through the display cases. And, you know, there's some really beautiful jewels in, in that shop. And a really beautiful jewel, well cut, shown in the right light. It can be a breathtaking thing. But there's no such thing, is there, as a totally flawless jewel. Not even the finest diamond to be found in the display cases at Tiffany's can be said to be without fault, without flaw of any kind. Diamonds are graded, I gather, on their clarity, their lack of imperfection, and you can find some diamonds, some very expensive diamonds, that are pretty close to perfect, but the totally flawless diamond, totally clear, totally brilliant, completely unmarred, it doesn't exist. But God is flawless in His perfection and His beauty, His holiness and His goodness, His wisdom and His knowledge. He is totally glorious in every way. Now, that's the core idea here. That's what we're thinking about. I I don't think that's too hard to take on board. If we believe in God, if we trust in God, we understand and accept that He is the God of glory. But what then do we do with this truth? What are the implications of this truth? Well, that brings us to our second point, point two of two. If God is all glorious then, well, our purpose is to give Him glory. Our purpose is to bring Him glory. That's where this truth simply leads us. It can be an agonizing question, but a question we must all ask. What is the purpose of my life? Why am I here on earth? Last year, the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention in the United States issued a startling report showing that suicide rates over the last decade or so have been rising in almost every American state. It raises the obvious question of causation, of why that's happening. And, of course, numerous factors will feed into that troubling trend. But I was very interested to read an opinion piece in the New York Times by a behavioral scientist named Clay Routledge, and I'd like to read for you from his piece. I think what he says is actually very significant. He writes this. Many argue that this is a crisis of mental health care, that people are not getting the services they need. The proposed solution is better therapies, more effective antidepressants, and greater access to treatment. This assessment may be correct. However, the suicide rate has increased even as more people are seeking treatment for depression and anxiety, and even as treatment for those conditions has become more widely available. An additional explanation seems to be needed as a behavioral scientist who studies basic psychological needs including the need for meaning I am convinced that our nation's suicide crisis is in part a crisis of meaninglessness we are a species that strives not just for survival but also for significance we want lives that matter A felt lack of meaning in one's life has been linked to alcohol and drug abuse, depression, anxiety, and yes, suicide. And when people experience loss, stress, or trauma, it is those who believe that their lives have purpose who are best able to cope with and recover from distress. What is the purpose of my life? Where is meaning to be found. It is a vitally important question. In fact, you may be here today precisely because you are asking that question, you are grappling with that question, because that very question is troubling you and you don't have an answer for it. Well, the Bible doesn't have a a quick one-line answer for us. There isn't a single verse that I, I can point you to that sums everything up really tidily. But if we look at the whole teaching of Scripture, at the whole shape of what God has made known to us in His Word, then I think an answer emerges for us pretty quickly and pretty clearly. The Lord makes it clear throughout His Word that the heart of His purpose in all things is for His glory to be seen and experienced and reflected by the creatures He has made, by the people He has made. In a very interesting passage in Isaiah 48, the Lord speaks of how He is refraining from bringing a judgment on Israel that the nation actually deserves because of its sin. And He explains why He's doing this, why He's refraining. We might imagine that He would say that He's acting in this way for the sake of the people, out of compassion, out of love, etc. That would make good sense to us, and of course, it would be consistent with His character. But instead, He says He's actually doing this for His own sake. For the sake of his glory. Very interesting, Isaiah 48 and verse 9. For my own name's sake, I delay my wrath. For the sake of my praise, I hold it back from you, so as not to cut you off. See, I have refined you, though not as silver. I have tested you in the furnace of affliction. For my own sake, for my own sake, I do this. How can I let myself be defamed? I will not yield my glory to another. God will not have His glory diminished, His reputation defamed through the shame and the destruction of His own covenant people, Israel. And so for the sake of His name, for the sake of His reputation, for the sake of His glory among the nations, He holds back His judgment on His people, even though they deserve it. God is rightly concerned for His glory. He is truly glorious in an absolute sense, and it is fitting, it is appropriate, it is right, it is logical that His glory should be seen and recognized. And throughout the Scriptures, God's true people recognize that He is worthy of all glory. Just listen to the way in which the Psalms express this desire and this concern. Psalm 96, which we heard earlier, Psalm 96 and verse 7, Ascribe to the Lord, O families of nations, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength, Ascribe to the Lord the glory due His name. Bring an offering and come into His courts. Worship the Lord in the splendor of His holiness. Tremble before Him all the earth. Psalm 108 and and verse 4. I will praise You, O Lord, among the nations. I will sing of You among the peoples. For great is Your love, higher than the heavens. Your faithfulness reaches to the skies. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens, and let Your glory be over all the earth psalm 115 and verse 1 not to us O lord not to us but to your name be the glory because of your love and faithfulness the westminster shorter catechism a very famous summary of the christian faith once summarized this truth especially well many here will know these words the catechism asks what is the chief end of man or to put it in modern terms what is the core purpose of humanity the chief end of man says the catechism is to glorify god and enjoy him forever our chief purpose here on earth is to return glory to the glorious god and to enjoy the god who is entirely glorious entirely perfect entirely wonderful in and of himself now i think that's a good and faithful summary of the bible's teaching and from what we've seen already on this theme it makes sense God is supremely wonderful, truly glorious. He himself is the great jewel, the being of supreme worth at the heart of the universe. And it makes sense that everything should revolve around him and his glory. The center block of parliament is now officially closed for renovations, more or less indefinitely, as far as I can tell, but at least for the next decade or so. My greatest disappointment in that is that none of us will be able to see the Parliamentary Library for all that time. I think that's the most beautiful part of the building. If you know the history, you know that the library is the only part, really, that uh, survived the Great Fire of 1916 and that truly dates back to the Victorian era. And if you've had an opportunity to visit that library, you'll remember what a very striking room it is. A great open rotunda with galleries spanning the circumference and with a towering statue of Queen Victoria rising in the center in the place of absolute preeminence. I gather that the base of Queen Victoria's statue goes right down to the foundation of the building even as she rises to considerable height within the room. And the point of all that is that the Queen is at the center of everything in Victorian Canada. The institution of government, the dominion itself, it's all grounded in her rule and exists for her good pleasure. The symbolism is powerful and inescapable. There is a sense in which the world, indeed the universe, is a great gallery built around the king of glory himself. The great jewel of the glory of God is at the center, and everything is about him, centered on him, calculated to reflect his majesty and his splendor and his worth. You may remember how Psalm 19 begins. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the works of His hands. It's all for Him, all for His glory. Now, that's a humbling thing for us to think about. It tells us that the universe is not actually all about us, despite what we might assume and feel. It's a humbling truth, but it's also a wholesome and a good truth. It's wholesome and good because at the most practical level, once we grasp this, it leads to a true experience of joy. Remember again what the Westminster divines said in their wisdom. The chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Glorifying God and finding joy in God, those two things go hand in hand. Ultimately, it is only as we find purpose and meaning In glorifying God in the one who is truly glorious that we find lasting joy it was Augustine who said you have made us for yourself O Lord and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you we were made for God and nothing other than God himself seeing him knowing him serving him pursuing his glory nothing else will ultimately satisfy us. Now some might charge that God is somehow egotistical or unduly selfish to make a universe centered on His glory, but I think we only start to think that way when we fail to recognize that God Himself is the only one who is truly glorious, the only one who can ever satisfy the longings of our soul, the only one who can bring true and lasting joy.
1: You're listening to Encounter the Truth with Jonathan Griffiths and a message called The Glorious God, part of a larger series, Who Is Like Our God? Glad you've tuned in today as we continue to look at the characteristics and attributes of God in this series. And if you ever miss a broadcast, you can always come to our website and listen online. Just stop by EncounterTheTruth.org. While you're there, hope you'll take a moment and check out a book we'd like to send you this month. It's called The Good Old Age, It's an A to Z of loving and following the Lord Jesus in later years. Written by Derek Prime. He was a pastor and Bible teacher. And in his 80s, he wrote this book that guides us through 26 Christian priorities that we should hold on to later in life. And then with biblical wisdom and practical advice, he helps us navigate the unique challenges and joys that old age can bring. It's a book that you can, in a sense, take a dip into. Meditate on it as you prayerfully read through this book and let the truths transform the way that you might be thinking about and even in the midst of living your old age. We'd love to send you a copy of this book, A Good Old Age, as you give a gift of any amount and support Encounter the Truth this month. You can find out more or give online when you come to EncounterTheTruth.org. That's EncounterTheTruth.org or call us at 833-99-TRUTH. All right, back to the message. Here is Jonathan.
0: When I was younger, we used to sing a chorus at a Christian camp I was part of. Perhaps you know it. It's a simple little thing. But it was such a good truth to sing and to remember. All that I need is in Jesus. He satisfies. Joy He supplies. Life would be worthless without Him. All things in Jesus I find. If you and I don't see and recognize that the universe is built around God and for His glory, if we don't see that, if we don't get it, the alternative is that we will seek to find meaning elsewhere. And as we do that, well, we find ourselves at the very heart of what the Bible calls idolatry. We replace the worship of the true and living God with the worship of an alternative God or gods of our own choosing. And the results of that are disastrous. Pastor Tim Keller, in one of his books where he considers this theme of idolatry, he memorably quotes from a speech given by David Foster Wallace, an American writer and intellectual who who later actually took his own life. I think it's a very poignant quote, not least because Wallace was evidently grappling deeply with these things himself as an unbeliever. It's also deeply perceptive. Just listen to what Wallace has to say. He says, everybody worships. The only choice we get is what to worship, and the compelling reason for maybe choosing some sort of God to worship is that pretty much anything else you worship will eat you alive. If you worship money and things, if they're where you tap real meaning in life, then you will never have enough, never feel you have enough. It's the truth. Worship your own body and beauty and sexual allure, and you will always feel ugly. Ugly. And when time and age start showing, you will die a million deaths before your loved ones finally plant you. Worship power, and you will end up feeling weak and afraid, and you will need ever more power over others to numb you to your own fear. Worship your own intellect. Being seen as smart, you will end up feeling stupid, a fraud, always on the verge of being found out. Look, the insidious thing about these forms of worship is not that they're evil or sinful, and I might disagree with Wallace there, but he says it is that they're unconscious. They are default settings. Well, there is a man who doesn't share a Christian faith with us, a man who later took his own life, but who saw the issues so clearly The worship of anything other than the true and the living God, it is not only unsatisfying, it is destructive. And Wallace is hardly the only person to see the futility of these pursuits. Henry Patterson, who writes under the pen name Jack Higgins, you might have seen his books, he's one of the world's best-selling authors. He's written over 80 books that have sold the combined total of 150 million copies. In his field, judging by those numbers, he has clearly reached the top. Patterson was once asked if there was anything he wished someone had told his younger self, anything he would like to say to his younger self, and his answer was simply this. He wished that someone had told him that when you reach the top, there is nothing there. Alexander the Great was made king at age 20. He sought to increase his empire through war. He was undefeated in battle by age 30. He had created one of the greatest empires the world has ever seen. Legend has it that when he had conquered so much of the known world, he looked out at his great realm and wept, for there was not another world to conquer. Now, I don't know if the legend is true, but it's entirely believable. Nothing in this world can satisfy, not even if we had the world itself. You have made us for yourself, O Lord, And our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. We are restless. We are empty. We are unfulfilled until our hearts find rest in God himself. In the one whose glory is limitless and entirely satisfying for the human soul. I wonder if you know that God of glory today. I wonder if you have the meaning and the purpose and the fullness of joy that only He can give. I wonder if you've been out hunting glory here, there, and everywhere, seeking satisfaction and fullness and meaning in life, in the things of this world, perhaps enjoying a measure of success. Perhaps you've had a measure of success, but ultimately you're finding those things empty. You're finding them lacking. If you have, if you are, the invitation of the gospel, the call of Jesus Christ is to come to Him to find true meaning, to find true purpose, and with those things to find wholeness and joy. Our worship of idols, the Bible tells us, it is a culpable thing before God. It makes us guilty in His sight because He deserves our worship as our Creator. But Jesus died at Calvary to pay the penalty of our idolatry and all our wrongdoing. And He shows us the glory of the true and the living God. And He calls us to reorientate our lives around the glory of God, away from the glory of our rather pathetic little idols, idols which can never satisfy and will never bear the weight of our worship. Would you turn to Him? Would you come to Him even this morning? Some of us, most of us here know and trust the Lord Jesus Christ, but as we think about these things, as we reflect upon them today, we realize that we have been living once again for those petty little idols. We've been wandering in our hearts and in our worship. We've been glory hunting elsewhere, even though we know better. And perhaps as we listen, perhaps as we consider these things, perhaps you realize today that there are some things that you do need to make right, some idolatries of which you need to repent. You need to be consumed once again with a zeal for the glory of God, with a delight and a satisfaction and a joy in who He is. As we come to a close here, let me just remind us each one of the future, the glorious future that God has in store for each one who believes God is glorious and he's made us to reflect his glory and to enjoy his glory that's what awaits us if we belong to Jesus writing of the new Jerusalem to come John says this in Revelation 21 and verse 22 at the close of the scriptures I did not see a temple in the city because the Lord Almighty and the lamb are its temple The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it for the glory of God gives it light and the lamb is its lamp the nations will walk by its light and the kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it if we recognize how radiantly beautiful the Lord is in his power and his majesty his holiness and his splendor then the picture that John gives us in that vision it should fill our heart with wonder and with delight that we should live forever basking in the radiance of the glory of god himself what a prospect for us who believe what a future for any who would come
1: You're listening to Encounter the Truth with Jonathan Griffiths and a message called The Glorious God. If you miss a broadcast in the series, come to the website. Listen online. It's EncounterTheTruth.org. You know, Encounter the Truth is a listener-supported broadcast. We're able to stay on this station because of your generosity. And as you give a gift of any amount this month, we want to send you a book written by Derek Prime. It's called A Good
0: Old Age. So many books on the Christian market focus on work and parenting and following the Lord through the teenage years and and some of the issues that really impact younger people. And I was struck by the focus of this particular book on living for Christ in old age, (laughs) toward the end of life. And of course, that's such an important focus, and we don't give enough attention to that. But I'm so grateful that Derek Prime wrote this book and that it's available, and we're so glad to make it available to you.
1: Well, again, it's called A Good Old Age. ask you to give a gift of any amount, and we want to say thank you by sending you a copy. You can go online and give by coming to encounterthetruth.org. You can also call us at 833-998-7884. That's 833-99-TRUTH. Or again, the website, encounterthetruth.org. Well, thanks for doing that and for listening today. I hope you'll
0: join us next time.